Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I work at Light Reading. <laughs> I'm joined by Kelsey Zeiser, my uh, capable co-host who can actually say words. Hello. How's it going? Good. <laughs> Good. Um, so we have a great uh, interview that uh, has already been recorded. Uh, we interviewed uh, Juniper CEO Rami Rahim, uh, and uh, I thought it went very well. Yeah, same here. Um, he had a lot of um, really interesting insights on 400 gig and mist, and uh, it was a great conversation. Yeah, yeah indeed. We, uh, we we sort of broke the conversation into uh, talking about the telco side of the business and then sort of the future of the enterprise side of the business and got into a bit of, uh, you know, where we're going to see AI um, really take shape in not just Juniper's product line, but also in the networks uh, in general. Um kind of where we left it was interesting you know there <laughs> and i don't envy uh i i i uh i don't envy his job whatsoever i mean i'm sure it's an exciting mm-hmm. job and i'm sure there's all kinds of perks uh, but good lord uh there's so many changes happening it's in the network it seemed it it's seemingly impossible to stay on top of everything at once yeah definitely a lot of um balls in the air to juggle and um, yeah. You know, we talked about uh, what their competitors are focused on as well. So staying ahead of the competition um, and then also getting a better idea of, you know, how AI factors into um, some of their um, acquisitions. And, and as you mentioned, their plans yeah. for enterprise applications. Yeah, indeed. Um, and that's that's where I think this stuff uh, really gets interesting and kind of futuristic. Um, so anyway, without further ado. Uh, and without any more uh, audio mess ups by me, <laughs> we will uh, take a quick break. And then when we come back, uh, you will get to hear our interview with uh, Juniper CEO, Rami Rahim. Rami Rahim, CEO of Juniper Networks. Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Phil. So we're going to break this interview up into two big, big buckets. Um, I want to talk about 400 uh, gig connectivity, mm-hmm. and I also want to talk about the MIST acquisition, and um, and in particular uh, how AI is 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 being used inside of Juniper, or how it might be used in the future. Um. But first, let's get to 400G because that's a a, a big deal, and uh, um, telecom operators are certainly uh, talking about it and planning for it. Um, so, I guess one place to start is the use case for 400G and uh, among telecom operators. Um, what are your customers saying that might be, you know, a, is is there sort of a single overwhelming use case, or does it just come down to the same sorts of things uh, pushing the market forward, uh, like we've seen in every other uh, connectivity leap, like lower cost per bid and that sort of thing. Yeah, we're obviously very keen on the 400 gig inflection point that is undoubtedly coming our way starting next year. In terms of uh, use cases, the first use use cases are going to be in the um, hyperscale uh, uh, environment in particular data center interconnect and in the spine uh, layers of hyperscale data centers. I do think that will be closely followed up with telco use cases as well. 
uh, in the service provider space, 400 gig is undoubtedly going to be um, a major inflection point in core networks. And I do believe that many telcos are already starting to do proof of concepts and planning for 400 gig in that layer of the network. Uh, I think that will be closely followed up with metro use cases for 400 gig, where you would have uh, a ring with east-west 400 gig connectivity uh, and then 100 gig down to aggregate into the access layer. Uh, And that's going to be a very interesting use case for, um, in particular, ZR pluggable optics uh, that are going to be very cost effective and um, something that many of our customers are already looking at. Yeah, right. Because those plug right into the router, and uh, essentially, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it's that that I guess that uh, that dream we've always had of of optics plugging right into routing and sort of uh, combining the two. Absolutely, I do think uh, in the four hundred gig era, uh, that transition where you're going to have direct transponder pluggables in the router ports themselves. I think it's just going to be more prevalent. There are a number of factors that are coming our way in terms of economics, in terms of uh, port density um, that just make it much more feasible in the 400 gig uh, era. And Rami, what's the opportunity specifically for Juniper in the 400 gig era, as you say? Um, And does it help bring back telecom momentum for Juniper as well? Well, so 400 gig is definitely a very big bet for us. And we have been investing quite heavily over the last several years in having the solutions that are necessary across all of our key customer segments. I mean, we've got uh, large penetration and market share in the, in the cloud space, in particular in the hyperscale space, as well as in the telecom space. Um, we have been innovating across the entire stack. So we've developed a new cloud era operating system that gets us ready for uh, the types of uh, use cases, especially our hyperscale customers have been asking for where they want modularity and programmability and telemetry. Um, Then in the silicon domain, we've made that operating system work um, seamlessly across both merchant and custom silicon offerings. And we've even made a bet several years ago uh, in silicon photonics. And we've, mm-hmm. we've essentially targeted that bet at the 400 gig um, era, um, you know, with the use cases, first use cases starting next year. Uh, as far as your question about telecom, I mean, definitely, I do think there are a number of areas in our telecom business that um, is a, are key focus areas for us. 400 gig transition will be one of them, but it doesn't stop there. I mean, 5G will be largely a virtual, highly distributed architecture. And our mm-hmm. telco cloud bet that we have been made it, making over the last few years, I believe, is really going to pay off for us as 5G becomes more prevalent uh, among our SP customers. Okay. And what are some other ways that Juniper um, 400 gig area stands out in the market from Arista or Cisco, for example? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I, I think that the bets that we've made across the stack, I think at first it starts with software. And I think with our uh, Junos Evolved offering, it's essentially the most modern cloud era operating system that we have been working on now for a number of years has just reached um, f- at first revenue ship this year among uh, across both merchant and custom silicon offerings. And the initial 
uh, feedback that we've gotten from our customers has been extremely encouraging. Um, that then goes down into the silicon layer, where I believe um, we've really achieved a good balance of both custom and merchant silicon offerings. And in, in particular, we've chosen to develop custom silicon only in areas where we believe that we can achieve meaningful differentiation, whether it be in functionality, like embedded security that's becoming extremely important for our customers, or in economics, i.e. more uh, better uh, per price performance uh, metrics that obviously many of our customers care about. And then last but not least, it's, it's in the optics domain. I think that with silicon photonics, um, there is an incredible potential for, for anybody that comes to the market with a silicon photonics-based 400-gig solution that can essentially transform the economics of connectivity uh, in the use cases that I just mentioned, whether they be DCI or Spine or Metro. So all of these bets come together, I think, to give us a, a real competitive position in the market. Excellent. Um, yeah, speaking of uh, the optics part of this, um, I wondered if you had any uh interest or opinion in the uh, Infinera approach that was announced. Now, I know this is just a, um, you know, a technology that hasn't made it to market yet, but they announced this thing called SR Optics that applied to Metro networking, and they were, um, uh, they were going to take essentially point-to-point -point links and make it more hub and spoke because of the way that the, uh, uh, the 400 gig module, uh, uh, or I guess the pluggable uh, operated inside of, uh, uh, routers. Um, or at least that's, that's the direction it seems to be heading in. Um, are you, are you following that development or do you have, you know, sort of anything to say about it as of yet? Yeah. I, I start by saying that one of the most important things for us, uh, as it pertains to the 400 gig inflection point is going to be about openness and interoperability across all of the use cases that uh, we've been talking about. Um, and this means, you know, we're going to have coherent interfaces with a common fact forward uh, error correction protocol that can essentially work across different technology solutions. And I mean, we're sort of at this tipping point in the industry, I believe, where we can break the traditional optical vendor lock-in models that have been prevalent historically um, and 400 gig can be the era where that promise really becomes or comes to life. Um, so, uh, you know, yes, we'll, we'll follow what Infinera is doing. Um, uh, I do think that there is going to be a little bit of a challenge in overcoming what is a lot of support and momentum, industry support and momentum right now for ZR optics. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll track it closely and, and see what progress that um, is being made there. Again, the most important thing for us is openness and interoperability. And we've been driving uh, this very hard among different standards bodies and have been sort of an instrumental force in the industry among um, having interoperable forward error correction between vendors. And I think mm -hmm. that would be something that's very good for the entire industry. Certainly our customers um, would very much appreciate that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm excited about the, the direction that we're going right now, both ourselves and the industry in 400 gig. Excellent. Okay. Well, that's a great place to leave uh, that topic and uh, also a great place for us to take a break. So we'll take a quick break on the light reading podcast. We'll be right back.
We are back on the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm uh, with co-host Kelsey Zeiser. Hello, Kelsey. Hello, Phil. And we're joined by our guest, uh, Juniper CEO, Rami Rahim. Hi, Rami. Hey, how are you? Good. And uh, thanks for uh, hanging in there with us. Um, for this segment, let's talk about the MIST acquisition. Um, one of the things that uh, jumped out to me uh, recently was that the uh, uh, the revelation that the MIST customer base has grown 42% since uh, Juniper acquired the company in April, and that's doubled in the past 12 months. Um, uh, as a joke, I was going to ask you, is that because of or in spite of Juniper? Um, but that would be, uh, you, you might not take that, uh, uh, that might not be as hilarious as I, as it, as it was to me when I was writing it. Um, but I do, uh, I am curious about the growth, uh, and where it's coming from and, and sort of what's driving it. So, uh, so what's, what is going on there? Well, quite frankly, it's a little bit of both because when we, uh, acquired MIST, the growth, uh, was already very impressive. Uh, and we didn't want to mess with that. We did not in any way want to slow them down. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the integration um, strategy for MIST has been largely that of leaving them alone and letting them to continue the, at the pace of innovation that they were executing at prior to the acquisition. Uh, most of the emphasis on integration has been in onboarding and enabling our global sales team to be able to position and to sell the technology, um, you know, across a much larger customer base than they were able to with their smaller sales team. Uh, the thing that has essentially fueled this growth is the, the innovation. Um, if you look at the market landscape today for wireless LAN, you've got these legacy controller-based wireless LAN solutions that are super complex, brittle, very difficult to upgrade, to add features to. Uh, and, you know, they, they could scale to large enterprise, but you have, but customers had to sacrifice simplicity uh, in order to, to achieve that scale. Then came along what I would describe as sort of first generation legacy cloud managed wireless LAN solutions mm -hmm. that solved the complexity problem, but fundamentally weren't built with a backend that could scale to the large enterprises. So customers had to choose between uh, having the simplicity of cloud management or something that could scale, and they couldn't have both. Mist came along and essentially created a wireless LAN solution with a true scale-out backend that could provide all of the simplicity of deployments that cloud brings, but also that can scale to the very largest customers in the world. Um, and many of our customers have taken notice. And as a result of that, we've seen uh, phenomenal growth and continue to see phenomenal growth. I was very interested in, in how that integration was going to happen because it sort of, it seemed like Mist was very popular, like you said. And once you kind of coupled that with a broader portfolio of networking products, it seemed like the, the natural path would be more growth. So, um, so I guess that's, I guess that's what we're seeing. And it seems it, like I said, it, it seems to be pretty popular regardless. It, the momentum is really impressive. The team has done an outstanding job in building a very unique solution. And yeah, I expect that, uh, that momentum to continue. And Rami, how is um, MIST using AI and its uh, cloud-managed wireless networks? And was Juniper doing something similar in its equipment? 
So that's a great question. Because NIST's cloud management was built fundamentally to scale using a, a cloud-native scale-out architecture, it was built from day one to be able to absorb vast amounts of metadata across all of its deployed access points. Mm-hmm. And when you have that much data, you can do some amazing things with it. Um, and AI is essentially the, the cornerstone of the technology that allows it to consume that information with the goal of learning to achieve two fundamental things. The first is to simplify the life of a network operator. Essentially, you know, MIST is the closest thing that I've seen in the industry to a, tr- a truly self-driving network where mm-hmm. network operators um, typically don't need to do a lot of manual work in order to keep the network up and to keep it performing. Mm-hmm. The second really important goal that AI brings to the table is about user experience. Um, and I have seen countless um, uh, wireless LAN deployments where the experience down at the user level has been really terrible. Uh, and yet the, the IT teams, you know, their best response is something along the lines of, but the network is up. Well, it's mm-hmm. great. I appreciate the network is up, but is the network good? Is it performing <laughs> right. at, at the user level? And MIST is the first solution that I have seen that actually enables IT administrators to determine how good the network is actually performing down at the user level. So these are the two fundamental value, uh, value propositions that are enabled by AI in the MIST technology. Okay. And is there a way to also use AI to improve um, customer experience, as you mentioned, or also connectivity in SD-WAN or other enterprise applications? Absolutely. So first looking at MIST, we've actually tracked over time the number of uh, trouble tickets that are uh, occur in, in a MIST wireless LAN networks that require human intervention to pull data, to analyze, to root cause, and to remediate versus those trouble tickets that are automatically um, analyzed, uh, root caused, and essentially resolved without any human intervention whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And over time, we've gone now to probably around well over 50% of all trouble tickets that are automatically resolved without any human intervention. I believe within the next year or two, we can have 80 to 100% of those tickets, even to even in situations where there are, are hardware faults and you need to do RMAs, essentially swaps, those tickets for RMAs can be auto-generated. All of this, again, the net effect is the, the self-driving network where you know, IT administrators can spend time not just keeping the network up, but actually on focusing on driving innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, to your question around does it have broader applicability? It absolutely does. We're already taking the CLIST, the the, the MIST cloud management uh, platform and extending it to include our wired switching solutions for the enterprise. And uh, quite frankly, many of our customers are just clamoring for this. They want this immediately. They want to extend the experience across all of their campus networks. Uh, and we do use um, AI already in a number of different solutions at Juniper. So take AppFormix, which is our uh, cloud fabric um, monitoring solution that can look across both physical and virtual assets 
to determine if certain resources are being overextended. And so as a result of that, the uh, SLAs can be compromised mm-hmm. or HealthBot, which is our physical wide area network uh, monitoring solution that there again, we use AI to determine when you're exhausting resources and you know to action needs to be taken. And then last but not least, we'll be in security. You know, Sky ATP right. is our, um, our, our solution for essentially consuming data across the entire network, uh, analyzing that data with the, term, with the goal of determining when a threat is about to do something bad before that bad thing actually happens. And you're essentially predicting the future. So AI has a lot of uh, usage and use cases across the IT and the networking domain. And you mentioned AppFormix. Is that where intent-based networking comes into play as well? It's AppFormix is the analytics, telemetry, and monitoring component of our Contrail multi-cloud solution mm-hmm. that is inherently an intent-based solution for uh, um, multi-cloud um, you know, data centers, essentially, across both underlay and overlay. So yes, it's an element of it. I wouldn't say it's it, it by itself is intent-based. It's just an element of a, of a wider uh, intent-based solution for multi-cloud. Okay, thanks. Excellent. Um, our uh, time's about up, but I did want to ask you about um, your annual user conference. So this uh, podcast is going to run during uh, uh, probably right in the middle of the uh, next work uh, uh, conference in uh, Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um so what are your goals for that, uh, for that conference? Um, and, uh, well in Las Vegas, I, I'm going to guess what your goals are, uh, not to lose money, but, um, but, but what are your business goals for, uh, for the conference and, uh, what, how will we know, uh, that, that, uh, you know, what are you sort of, uh, see, seeing, uh, would be a successful show? Yeah. So I'm super excited. It's coming up, uh, very quickly. This is going to be our fifth year hosting the event for our customers and partners, and it gets bigger and bigger every year. Uh, so I do expect, you know, record attendance at uh, this upcoming conference. You know, the way I look at it in, in times of change, and there's no doubt this industry is changing. Uh, and as a result of that, Juniper needs to change in order to, to stay on the right side of industry change. Mm-hmm. It's, really important for us to have a what I describe as a high bandwidth communication channel between the company and our valued customers and partners to make sure that they understand how Juniper is embracing that industry change, how we are you know, embracing new solutions for the cloud, for 400 gig, the cloud delivered enterprise, all of the great technologies that we talked about on this, uh, on this podcast. And then it's also an opportunity for myself and my executive team to listen very carefully to our customers and partners and to ensure that we're on top of what they're seeing out in the market and are you know, equipped to partner effectively, to enable them to succeed in, um, you know, in an industry that's just packed with inflection points these days. Yeah, yeah, that's a... The, the... The, the industry is, uh, it's, it's going through one of the most interesting changes we've ever seen for sure. Um, we're, it is an exciting time. It is an exciting time to be in this industry. Yeah. To go, to go into the whole idea of, uh, everything that get the, the sort of the knock on effect of everyone driving toward 5g is that you have to completely rebuild the network. And <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing because we, we haven't really had that, um, 
that directive before. Uh, you know, it's always been add on and keep the legacy going and monetize both and, you know, amortize and, you know, extend that 20 year buying cycle that telcos like and stuff like that. So it's, it's definitely a different, uh, different, uh, ball game right now. Yeah. Well said, Phil. I mean, honestly, we look at inflection points as an opportunity for us to, uh, to challenge, to take share and to disrupt, uh, and, you know, for challengers, uh, in the market today, I think it's a, it's a good time. All right. Fantastic. Uh, Rami Rahim, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us, uh, on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, and good luck in Las Vegas. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by Tian Fu in New York. Our show notes are all available at lightreading.com. As a reminder, you can get the Light Reading Podcast from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and dozens of other platforms and apps. Thanks again for listening, and thanks for getting your telecom news from lightreading.com.